today. Take your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4. There's only four chapters in Philippians. Is that starting, Andrew? There you go. All right, Philippians 4. I've called this, titled this sermon, Peace in the Flesh. Sometimes we need examples with skin on, right? And Paul basically tells them here that's what he wants to give them. So I have a question for you. If your children pattern their life after you, will you rejoice or repent? Let me say that again. And I say children, but really anybody who looks up to you. If your children pattern their life after yours, would you need to rejoice or repent? We're going to talk about that. As we do, I want you to join me in the reading of God's Word. We're going to start in Philippians 1 and read through verse 9. So Philippians 1, if you're, or Philippians 4, 1, excuse me. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right, it's also on the screen. Let's read this together. Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Do you think he loves these people, by the way? I mean to tell you, what a pastor. I implore Udia and I implore Cynthia. By the way, you can call people out when you love them that much, right? You've got to have relationship and relational capital. And Paul did. We're going to see that in the next verse. I implore Udia and I implore Cynthia, be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel with Clement also. And the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life, come alongside and help. Be a voice of reason. Rejoice in the Lord always and say it with me. And again, I will say rejoice. rejoice. These are all part of making things right, having peace when your relationship's gone sideways. Here's the next thing you do. Let your gentleness, also meekness or submission, be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. The Lord's right here. Be anxious for nothing. But instead, in everything, by prayer and supplication, and this is so important, with thanksgiving, go ahead and let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard or keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, or in addition, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Correct thinking, Paul is saying. And the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. I want to talk to you about this last verse today that's on that screen, verse number nine. Now we understand that the whole letter, and it's, I, I've, I've entitled the series in Philippians, Ode to Joy. The whole thing's about joy. Now, where is Paul sitting as he writes this? Prison. He's in prison in Rome. 
And yet he's telling them how to be joyful. But boy, is he a living example of that or what? Right? This is the epistle of joy, and his circumstances are not good. They're not, you couldn't say he was happy, but he was joyful, joy-filled. And as we've learned, joy is not circumstance-dependent, it's truth-dependent. Paul's life was lived off of truth. So the focus is joy. Just jot this down. I think it'll come up on the screen. In chapter 1, he tells us that we need to be of a single mind. Paul is single-minded. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul was single-minded. This is how joy is routinely and regularly reproduced in your life. you got to be single-minded. Anybody out there like me? You got too much on your mind? <laughs> yeah, right? I woke up in the middle of the night last night and had three pressing matters on my mind. And the problem is those things wake you up and you can't go back to sleep, right? Single-minded. Handle what you can handle. Trust God for the rest. So chapter one is single-mindedness. Chapter two, we need a submissive mind. We learn of this humility that is, that is joy-producing. How was Jesus so joyful? He was, he was humble. We need this submissive mind. In chapter three, Paul tells us of the spiritual mind. The spiritual mind shows up in chapter 3. And then in our final chapter, we have the secure mind. The secure mind. And the secure mind comes through correct thinking. The power of thinking right. Y'all realize there's power in thinking right? There's a lot of power in thinking right. Matter of fact, the more you think right, the more you're going to live right. And the reason some of you aren't living right is because you're not thinking right. Our thoughts matter. And what we see in this text today, starting in verse number one, we see the personal esteem of the people of God. The personal esteem. Does, does Paul love these people or what? He calls them my beloved twice. He loves you. Stand firm, my beloved. Don't give up. Don't give any ground away. His personal esteem. For the people of God. And then his pointed exhortation in verse 2. Because he loves these people so much, he can tell them a thing or two. Right? He can talk to Judea and Syntyche by name. Listen. And they, not only do they not get their feelings hurt and leave the church. That's what we do today. Not only are they unoffendable. Naming them by name convinces Judea and Syntyche how much Paul loves them. And how much they are on his heart while he is in change for the gospel. I'm concerned about the fact that you two ladies can't get this thing fixed. So there's a pointed exhortation. Then there's a petitioned endeavor in verse 3. And he says, oh, and, 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 and the rest of you help them out. Help these women. Go ahead and jump in there. Help them out. Come alongside. Stop being a passive observer. Everybody knows these two women aren't getting along. They need the saints to help them. Get involved. A passionate endeavor. Or a petitioned endeavor. Passionate encouragement. Verse number four. 
here's, here's the way to begin. Once you get this outside help, here's the way to begin to fix your problem with the other person. Both of you rejoice in the Lord. Revisit what God did for you, who you are now versus who you used to be. Meditate on the grace of God and the goodness of God in your life. Boy, that, that'll change your mind right there, won't it? About, about whatever problem you're having with somebody else. So you have this passionate encouragement in verse 4. In verse 5, you have the proper expression. Let your gentleness, your meekness, your submission be made known to everybody. The Lord's right here. Humble out. That's the proper expression. Then we have the prayer essentials in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Instead, use, we talked about this morning in our D group a little bit. Use your anxiety, use those things that concern you, that cause you to worry. Use those as prayer motivators. Right? As soon as you feel anxiety, start praying. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Tell God what you need. Tell Him. Prayer essentials. And then the peaceful experience in verse 7. And here's what God's going to do. And the peace of God, which you can't even explain until you, until you experience it, but there's no good words to put around it, which surpasses all your understanding. Like, I should be a mess right now, but I'm so solid. I am so peaceful, peace-filled. Why? Because God's peace is literally guarding what I think, your mind, and what I'm feeling, your emotions. My feelings, my emotions, and my thinking are inextricably linked. And God's peace is protecting me from thinking outside the bounds of God's sovereignty and His goodness. Does that make sense? And then we have the pondering endeavor of verse number 8. The pondering endeavor. He said, you know what? Here's, here's what you need to think about. Here's what, where you need to direct your mind. You need to capture your thoughts and you need to control them. And when you're thinking, make sure you're thinking along the lines of these categories. Whatever things are true. I imagine whatever this disagreement was, there were some things in there that weren't true. You ever had a disagreement with someone and you thought up all kinds of things about that person, most of which are not true? Isn't that, isn't that the truth? Think about what's true. What's true, Yudia? What's true, Cynthia Kate? Well, here's what's true. We're sisters in the Lord. Here's what's true. God saved us both outside of and in spite of ourselves. And he put us together in fellowship for the gospel. That's what's true. Think about whatever things are noble. Whatever things are just. What's the right thing here? What's just here? Whatever things are pure, lovely, good report. Is there any virtue? Is there anything praiseworthy? Oh, absolutely. Then let's meditate on these things. And then today we come to our... Our, our verse, the final execution here is the practical execution in verse number 9. The practical execution. And the bottom line is this, church. Right thinking leads to right living. Isn't that true? 
How many of you know the battle for the Christian life is won or lost between your ears? Isn't that the truth? Anybody with me this morning? How many, how many of us realize that our thinking either frees us from bondage or fastens us in bondage? And I fear that sometimes, most times for so many, they are fastened in bondage because of their thinking, not freed from bondage. Thinking matters. Right thinking ends up in right living. So I just want to share three things with you today out of this verse, verse number nine, and I'll read it to you. This is not a, a, um, a separate verse from eight, it's, and nine is not separate from two. All of this is, is linked. It's all in the context of peace in the relationships between God's people. Here's what Paul says in this practical execution. He says, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. I'm your example. Look, all this stuff I'm telling you, you watched me live it out in front of you. We, spent, we, done, we walked enough life together, you saw me do this stuff. Now just go and replicate it. And when you do, God's peace is going to be all over you. So I, got, I want to say three things to you today about this verse. First is Paul's powerful example in the first part of that verse. And then Paul's plain exhortation. It's the Nike ad. Just do it. <laughs> just do it. That's a plain exhortation. And then third is peace's precious effect, the precious effect that comes when we do what we've learned, received, seen, and heard. So I go back to my original question. If your children pattern their life after you, would you rejoice or repent? Can you say to anybody today, follow me, and if you follow me, and if you pattern your life after me, you'll be walking in faith. Can you say that, honestly? Would it be a good idea for anyone to pattern their life after yours? That's what the question is today. I fear in the church, and it's bothered me for a long time, but I fear that in the church today, Failure has become the norm. Moral failure. Sin. I, I think the thing that, that, that unites us today is not the Savior who has rescued us from the power of sin, but sin itself. So we tend to say, to say to each other, to try to encourage one another, well, we all sin. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. We all sin. And that's the common ground today is the fact that we all, we all failed. Now, do we all fail? Of course we do. But that should, be, that should not be the norm. We made it the norm in the church, and, and, and the standard has become so low. And then we wonder why this next generation that's coming up sit in the back row and sleep during church. Have no problem staying at 1, 2 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday night into a Sunday morning because there's no value in their heart whatsoever for the things of God. Why? Because the standard's so low, and we've set that standard low. Oh, I want to tell you what, failure is not the norm. The norm 
in the New Testament scriptures is the victorious Christian life, joy-filled with relationships that are healthy, understanding and, and walking out and living by experience God's peace. That's the norm. I mean, maybe we don't want to invite people to come to this church and to worship with us because the work Christian and the church Christian are two different Christians, and it'd be embarrassing. You know, that, that's part of it. we got to be the same person and have integrity. Verse 9, Paul says, I expect you to listen because you all know this is, this is what I do. Paul here gave a living sermon, a living example. He said, the things you learned and received and heard and saw in me. They learned something from Paul. They probably learned a lot from Paul, didn't they? I mean, he shows up there. There's not even enough Jewish, devout Jewish men to have a, to have a synagogue. So there, there's no synagogue even there. But they learn from him. And they, when they, what they learn, they receive. See, where does learning take place? Right? That's, that, that's, that's new information. Paul brought them some new information, and they learned it. But it's, it's one thing to know something. It's another thing to do something about it and for it to travel from your head to your heart to receive it. They didn't just learn the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They received it. And it transformed their lives. And, and, and it began transforming their city. They received the truth. They received what Paul taught. They learned it and they received it. But notice, he goes on to say here, they didn't just learn it and receive it. What does he say next? And you heard it. Because did Paul stay in Philippi? No, he, he went on to Thessalonica. And what did they hear? They got reports back from Paul. What was Paul doing in Thessalonica? The very same thing he did in Philippi. You heard that my message did not change. And then you saw it in me. Paul was an example. We, we witnessed firsthand how you operated in the gospel under when there were problems. How many of you ever... How many of you have ever watched a godly person navigate personal relationships when there were issues? You ever get, you ever get to see that? I'll never forget. Early, early on, I think it was a, I think it might have even been within the first year. It was, the very first year we were here. Um, we had a, a situation, I look back at it now, and 22 year 22 years older Paul would have handled that situation very differently than, than a young pastor who was new and a little bit inexperienced at life. We got in this meeting and it got, remember you were there, it got, uh, Mike was there, it got uncomfortable real fast because one person thought that they were being accused of not being spiritual. And I understand now how that, they could have connected that. That was not the dot that was made, 
But I can see how that dot could have got connected. And we watched one man in that room diffuse the whole situation. And it was Jim Williams. Here is a man who, who had learned the gospel, received it, and lived it. And here we had a match and we had gasoline. And it was fixing to get ignited. But a wise man steps in. A spirit-filled man steps in a relationally dicey situation and he completely diffuses everything. Right? In wisdom. In biblical wisdom. And brings the whole temperature in the room down so that we could actually deal with what the issue in the room was. And that wasn't it. Watch that happen. You know, what's, you know what's sad today? We don't have enough of those examples anymore, do we? It, have, have you realized, has anybody known, is it me just getting old? Or, or is it this world, even, even older people, my age people, are so selfish anymore? I don't know, are we getting more selfish than we used to be? Or, are we, or, or am I just seeing it more? What do you think? You think it is more? I think social media is a big part of that. Yeah, I mean, we're, it's more up in your face now. I, yeah, I think we're seeing more of it. Oh, my word. It's, a, it's insanity out there. and There's nothing worse than, than an older person who should have some life skills at that point in your life, acting like they're 15. And I see that so much today. I can't, there's so few people, there's, there's fewer and fewer examples that we can turn to. Say, what does, what, how, how do I handle these relationships when we just can't agree? Where, where do we go anymore? Where are the Jim Williams of the world? And I'll tell you where they are. You want to know where they are? They're sitting right where you are. Right, you are the Jim Williams of the world. Amen? That's what Paul's saying here. And he, and he appeals to the other believers. Hey, help these ladies out. Get involved. Because here's why. You watched me. You watched when we, we had issues. Paul was in Philippi long enough. By the way, how long does it take to be working with somebody? In a, in a, and this was a church setting in a new, first century New Testament church. How long does it take to be doing life with someone before, you're, before some of this is going to happen? I don't think very long. And I don't think that had... What did you say? Who said 20 minutes, Tom? <laughs> 20 minutes. You know what? You might not be off. You, you, that might be the most accurate statement of the day. I don't know. Uh, it doesn't take long, does it? Because we're fallen people. We, we struggle. And we all, we all think differently. Right? And, and, and we need Pauls. We need guys that we can look at and say, and, and how did he handle it? I don't know. But here's what I do know. I know he handled it through humility. I don't think he stood up and said, you all don't understand. I am the great Apostle Paul, and you will do as I say. I don't think Paul pulled that card. I just, I just don't see him doing that. I, I, I think he humbled himself. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I think that's what Paul did. I, 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 don't, think, I don't think Paul's personal um, agenda or Paul's personal Needs were very high on Paul's list of things he thought about. And they witnessed that. 
for over a year. They saw, where are the examples today? Where are the disciplers today? Here's a question. What are people learning from your life? I'll never forget the guy. For just a brief time, God put him in my life. Um, and boy, did I need him. I needed him a long time ago, but God's timing, I'm assuming, is perfect here. Uh, his name was Art. And I, I remember I was, I was, Art was counseling slash disciple. He was discipling me more than counseling me, but I didn't realize that was going on. And I was complaining to Art about my wife. Can you believe that? My perfect wife. I was complaining about her. And, and, and here was my issue with her. And this is where you need an outside help to come in and kind of smack you in the back of the head and say, wake up and grow up. Here's, here's what you're not understanding. And Art did that for me. I said, here's the thing, what I don't understand. I said, you know, I really like her. We've got a couple kids together. I like, I like being with her, but when I come home from work, it's like tag you're it and she's out the door. I'm like, what's up with that? You know, because to me, I'm a people person. And I've been working all day and I want to come home and just spend some time with her. And all she wants to do is be alone. And I looked at that as a rejection, that she was rejecting me. And he did one of those back-of-the-head smacks. He said, she's not like you. You all have different personalities. She is not a people person, and that's not a bad thing. It's just a thing, right? That's just her personality. What do you call that when you're not a people person? Thank you. You're an extrovert, which means I like being around people, and I get my batteries charged from being around people. She's an introvert. Which isn't a bad thing, it's just a thing. That was the biggest revelation to me right there. That she, it wasn't a bad thing, it's just a thing. She's an introvert. And she gets her batteries charged by getting a little bit of alone time. And then he said this, he said, matter of fact, the person that you want to hang out with and spend time together and connect with will come home from that time alone as the person you want to hang out with and spend time with and connect with. And here's the thing. I was, relationally, I was very, very uninformed. The word for that's ignorant, if you'd like to know. <laughs> right? That was news to me. I was so happy because I, I, I got in my car. I'm like, she really does love me. <laughs> and I mean, I was mad at her for months. Thinking that she just didn't love me anymore. Because if I did that to her, that would be me saying, I don't really, want, I don't really love you. I don't want to hang around with you. I'd rather get my batteries charged around other people. But the revelation that I needed a Paul in my life to say, hey, no, look at here, Here's what you are missing. She does love you. She's just, God just made her completely different. And that's part of maturity. See, I needed a mature believer to fill in some big missing dots in my life. Here, can I ask you a question? If we think about Paul's powerful example, are you that mature believer for anybody today? And if, if, if you're not, that's okay. Yeah. We should be, some of us. If your hair is white or gray, you ought to be that mature believer. 
whether you color it or not. You should be that person. We need more Jim Williams and Apostle Pauls in this church. And by the way, and I'm not just doing this for purposes that might benefit me later. Honestly, if you, you ladies, especially you young ladies that are married and trying to figure this marriage thing out, that my wife's somebody you can learn from. She really is. I wish that woman would nag me, but she don't. And her lack of nagging, no. That's, no, please don't. Careful what you ask for. And here's why I say that. Her lack of nagging bothers me more than if she would bug, because if she would bug me about it, I could turn around and say, you know what, that's a character problem that she's got, but she doesn't do that to me. Like yesterday, I, I, I bought her this swing after our swing broke, I don't know, how many months ago? Don't tell me. Long time ago. Put it all together, and it's been sitting on the ground on the front porch. <laughs> I haven't hung it. And, of course, by that time, the kids have taken all the chains to hang it, and they're in the woods and all kinds. Of, and, and so yesterday, she says to me, oh, so nice yesterday morning. I hope you got outside. We're, sit, we're sitting outside on the front porch in some rocking chairs that my, our neighbor gave us, which was very kind. Because he noticed our swing wasn't hung. <laughs> he gave us two rocket chairs. So we're sitting in the rocket chairs and he goes, oh, it sure would be nice if I could be sitting on my swing. That's all she said. And I'm like, man, she's right. How many? It's been two, three months, maybe longer, that thing's been sitting out there. And so I know her. That's all she's going to say. It is not going to get brought up again. And I know me. If I don't do it right away, it's not going to get done. And so I got up and got my keys and I got Emma. And I was having to talk with Emma about some other relational issues that she was having with her siblings. And I said to her, Emma, I want you to know something. I said, the reason we're going to Walmart to get this equipment so I, is so I can hang the swing. And the reason... I said, this is not what I want to do today. I'm doing this today because I love your mom. And it's the right thing to do. And when you love somebody, you adjust your plans to adjust to them being in your life. So you're helping me, and I want to be a living example of what it looks like to love somebody well. Right? Because your mom's not going to nag me about this, and she won't. Now, she'll pray me into a lot of things. I honestly, I figured her out. She nags the Lord is what she does. She nags God. She says one time to me, and then she'll go and nag. She must nag the stew out of God is all I can tell you. There have been more times that on the way home, I've had two or three thoughts of stuff that's got to get done. And I'm, I'm not the brightest bulb in the chandelier, but I can connect dots eventually. And I walk in that house. I say, what have you been praying about? What have, you, what have you been talking to the Lord? And it's those two or three things. I'm telling you, she has prayed me into more activity and, and getting stuff done than she ever could have got me to do. She's a Paul. And we need those, we need those Titus two women, you ladies do. You men, you need the Pauls in your life. And you need to be that person. Well, real quick, and then these don't take long. 
They witnessed Paul's life. And Paul's just reminding them, hey, you saw me. You watched me live this stuff out before you. You watched what I did when we had relational issues come up. You watched me go low instead of go high. You watched me, you watched me humble out. Just do that. You saw me constantly joyful in the Lord. It's reminding me of why I'm here. So then the plain exhortation. I love this. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, what's it say? These what? Dude, just do it. Go do what you saw me do. How you saw me live, you go live. Just put it in to practice. Just do it. Peter Drucker, the management guru, said this. He said, management is doing things right. Leadership is doing the right things. Hmm? Management is doing things right. Leadership is doing the right things. What did Paul give them an example of? Doing the right things. Just doing the right things. Did he have opposition in Philippi? Yep. And they watched how he handled it. And they watched him never lose his joy, constantly rejoicing in the Lord. They watched him go low and be humble with difficult people. They watched him show his gentleness when he could have been strongly firm. They, watched, they witnessed all that. And he did the right things in the right way. And they had this plain exhortation. And Paul said, here's the end of all that. Here, here, here's the end of my life. Here's the end of my story. Let me tell you what I'm experiencing while I'm chained to this Roman guard under house arrest. You know what I have? It's not anxiety. I got peace. I got a joy-fueled peace. That's peace's precious effect. He said, and when you do, when you live my way and do what you saw me do, here's what's going to happen. The God of peace will be with you. That's the precious effect. And he was with Paul. Was God with Paul as he's sitting there chained to those Roman guards? Yep. He sure was. God, why is there peace? Because God is with you. And the God of peace will be. Notice it doesn't say, and, and you'll have peace. What do you have? Peace is a person, right? God is who you have. And when you have God, peace is the side benefit. Did Yudia and Syntyche have peace at this moment? Mm -mm. Which tells you what? Who is not involved in their disagreement? God. Because when you have God, you have God's peace. When you have peace with God, you get the peace of God. These women both had peace with God, but they weren't having the peace of God because they were demanding things to be done their own way. I know none of you would ever do that. And they lost sight of what was important. Oh, how many times did we do that? But look at this precious effect. You get God. And when you get God, you get as a benefit God's peace. When you obey. I told my students this recently. I said, obedience is God's love language. And it is. What did Jesus say? If you love me, keep my commandments. Do what I say. If you love me, do what I told you to do. 
Obedience is God's love language. I think, I think it's become a lost, a lost joy in the church is to obey for the sake of obeying God because God loves our obedience. Everything has to be pragmatic. Everything has to have a backwards benefit to us or we're not going to do it. Whatever happened to doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do? Whatever happened to truth and goodness and beauty? That's called virtue. Whatever happened to doing things right because it's the right thing to do? Because when we do those right, when we obey, when we put God's commands into practice in our life, not only do we get peace, more importantly, we get God. God is with us. And by the way, God's not rolling with everybody today. I want you to know that. God is not with everybody. It appears that God was not with Judea and Syntyche because their, their argument had gotten so divisive that they lost God's peace. That's the first red flag that you know you're not walking in the presence of God or that the Holy Spirit's grieved in your life and has gone quiet, is that you lose the peace. But all this beautiful benefit, the peace of God, will be ours. I want to remind you today of Jesus' words in John 14, 23 and 24. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. You want peace? You want relational peace? Find someone who's the pattern of that peace. Find a Paul. Find a Titus 2 woman. Go find those people that have the peace of God and attach yourself to them. I've done that. I see someone's got a good marriage, like my friend Art in Florida. I hung out with Art, and he taught me a few things. I see someone that has their finances under control. I hang out with that person. Hey, how are you doing that? I, I want to get better at that. Find those people. Had these godly characteristics. Find, find the Jim Williams in your life. They're out there. Here's a second admonition today. Become the person that other people need to look to and go to. Are you a Paul? Are you a Titus II woman? Are you a Jim Williams type person? Are you someone that people would go to? They want to know how to live out a personal relationship in light of the gospel. Are you that person? What needs to happen? Right thinking leads to right living. And the reason some of us are having trouble living right is because we're not thinking right. And today, we, that needs to change. We need to endeavor today before God to become the kind of person that people will go to to learn how to have the presence of God in their life. And the benefits of that presence like God's peace. And I had that thought this week. I was thinking of my, my friend Blake here. It's been great to hang out with you. Get to know you a little bit. And we got some more life we need to do together. But you came to my mind as I was thinking about this. Because you're a young man. 
starting out in life, trying to figure some stuff out. And God used you this week to both encourage and admonish me. I say, if Blake hung out with you for a week, would he look more like Jesus or less like him at the end of that week? Am I the kind of person that young man needs? I need to be, and so do you. For the people in your home, for the, for the Blakes of this world, that God brings on purpose into your world so that you can be that living example. The things you have learned and received and seen and heard in me, go do those. And, here, and God's going to show up in your life. And with God is going to come his peace. There are people that need that out of your life, but you can't give what you don't have. Amen? Joseph's going to come at this time. Sing one of my favorite hymns. Haven't heard this in forever. But I, Joseph, as I was reading the lyrics this morning, putting them on the screen, I couldn't believe how appropriate they were for what you just heard. It's called Be Thou My Vision. So I have a question for you. Are you the kind of person that other people can pattern their life after? And if not, what are you willing to do to change that? Right thinking leads to right living. And today's the day to change your mind. Amen? And aren't you glad that God tells us to do that? And oh, beloved, what God commands us to do he equips us to do. He's never going to tell you to do something that he does not empower the change. So would you embrace that today? Would you right now ask the Lord, Lord, what, do I, what, what would you like to love out of me today? We talked about it in our D group with the men this morning. What are some of the weights I need to lay aside? They're not sins, but they're, they're keeping me. They're slowing me down some of those weights I need to lay aside? What are those, some of those sins that need to be evicted so I can run with patience the race that you've set before me and can become a person that people could pattern their life after and look a lot like Jesus? How about you ask him that right now? Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you today and we're just asking you what needs to be loved out of our lives by you, our, our Father in heaven. Teach us to trust you more with the details and to live a life of peace that comes from having you right in the middle of our life, that you become our life. Lord, I thank you for men like Jim Williams that I've learned from, received from, I've watched them. I've heard him, and, and I've seen Jesus in him. I thank you for my wife, for getting to watch her up close and personal and just watch you show up in her life and how both convicting and comforting it is all at the same strange time. I pray we'd be those people. And right now, as I've asked your folks to ask you what needs to change. I, I just believe that you're, you're talking to us right now. And I pray that those changes would be made for your glory.
Christ's name.